Welcome to the Industry.Fashion's In Conversation podcast, where we invite you to tune into the stories of some of fashion's most inspirational leaders. From the history of their careers to the current priorities for their businesses and advice for their fellow fashion friends, these conversations cover it all. The In Conversation series is staged in proud partnership with Klarna. In this episode, contributing editor Eric Musgrave talks to Jason Kirk, co-founder of eyewear business Kirk & Kirk. Jason created Kirk & Kirk to present fashionable individuals with the opportunity to find unbranded, bold and elegant eyewear to suit their specific style. Jason grew up surrounded by optics and he runs the business side of Kirk & Kirk, regularly visiting their factory in France for in-person quality checks. His wife Karen, also a co-founder, studied design in London and was working at Saatchi and Saatchi when she turned to optics. Jointly motivated by their family legacy, Kirk and Kirk was an immediate success, with their frames now sold in over 30 countries and ever present on the red carpet with celebrities such as Robert Downey Jr. Their designs have also won awards and plaudits from across the eyewear profession and the media. Jason talks to Eric about his early career, his motivations and family history, the science behind eyewear production, how he navigated the business to launch in over 30 countries, and why trend-led fashionable individuals, such as Eric, continue to wear the brand today. Welcome to Jason Kirk, founder of optical company Kirk & Kirk, purveyors of fine spectacle frames to the fashionable. Thank you. We have known each other for uh, over 20 years because when my my eagle eyes began to, uh, eagle eyesight began to fade, I had to find myself uh, my first proper pair of specs. And um, this would be just before 2000, I think. And um, my idea was, I'll just go and get something really simple, maybe even some rimless ones. They'll just do the job you know, that's fine. And what happened is I walked into your shop, which you had then in Covent Garden in London, and I came out with something which at the time we we thought were huge specs, although by modern standards they're not so huge. A pair of the all-fantastic design, the Dean, great big black specs with uh, silver arms, and uh, they became my trademark. And um, yeah, I think people were happier to see uh, my specs than me sometimes. But uh, yeah, so for 20 odd years, all thanks to you, I've been the man in the big specs, Jason. So thank you very much for that. Thank you for wearing them so well. Okay, so listen, how long have you been in the optical business and how, how did you get into it? There's a there's a family connection, isn't there? There is. Well, I started in, in 92 with Karen, who's currently my wife, um, but wasn't at that time. Um, but my family's been in optics for 100 years. My grandfather, Sidney, and his brother, Percy, were looking for something to do after the First World War, and they're trying to find a way to make a living. And they stumbled across an old lens, uh, an old sewing machine. And they were like, we must be able to do something with this. And they turned it into a lens cutter. And they started making lenses, and they also made buttons. And they sold the lenses to opticians, and they sold the buttons to Woolworths. And fortunately, the lenses went much better than the buttons. So they very quickly developed a, a great business in, across optics, um, and they were really inspiring as well. They they were incredibly innovative. They invented all sorts of things like adjustable nose pads, which you know kind of unthinkable, but at the time they didn't have them. Um, 
but they also had a brilliant attitude and they helped other people in the industry that we would probably consider to be competitors these days, but they helped other people set up factories near them, competitive factories, on the basis that if London became a centre of optical excellence, it would help their business as well. And it did. And they grew a, a large international business and then my dad and all his cousins were all into optics. Um, and I was not into it at all. I was just not interested. And then in the early 90s, I was helping my dad clear out his practice in a place called Chalfont St. Giles. And I stumbled across this box of beautiful old glasses. And I asked my dad where they were from. He just said, oh, it's nothing. It's just some stuff that your grandfather made that's left over. And they were incredible. And I went to see the designers of the day, people like Nick Coleman, Helen Story. And I didn't really know who they were. And I'd like rock up at the door in, in, in Soho, bang on the door and say, oh, is Helen there? And someone would go, yeah, she's downstairs. And I'd sit downstairs with Helen's story and I was made very welcome. And they loved the glasses that we were doing at the time. And I remember at the end of that, that week, I was going back to work on the Monday morning, back to L'Oreal, thinking I must be able to do something with this eyewear. And I went in and on that very first day I went in, L'Oreal made me redundant. It was somebody was trying to tell me something. We started making um, new glasses using old materials, and that very soon became we became too big to, to supply for that. Um, uh, and it just grew and grew and grew. So 30 years later, Karen and I are still making uh, unique eyewear. What an amazing story. So those lenses your uh, grandfather and great uncle were making, what were they made out of? Were they made out of glass? Um, well, they, were, they started off, yeah, I mean, they were making glass. some brilliant stories about the glass lenses. So... They started making glass lenses and they were selling them to people. And then the industry became very sophisticated in the 20s. And I've got a lovely photograph of my grandfather going on a boat to Brazil, which he used to do every year to get a stock of quartz from this one particular beach, which had the best quartz for making lenses. They used to go every year. Great excuse to go to Brazil. I'm thinking of trying it myself, but I don't think Karen will let it go. Wow. And what were the frames made of in those days? Well, they'd use real tortoise shell a lot of the time. Um, a little bit later on, well, not a bit later, earlier as well, but they moved to metal as well. And uh, Kirk Brothers, which was the name of the company, of, of that company, they had a, uh, their premises in Holborn, and it was three stories of, in a building. And on the ground floor, they'd have retail. And then the next floor up, they would make frames. And the next floor up, they would make lenses. So there was everything going on. Literally vertical integration. Okay, so your your dad was also what what was he an op, an optician? What we would call an optician, or what so my was dad he? was an optician, and he had practices in North London, but uh, latterly in Chapel St Giles mm-hmm. uh, in Buckinghamshire, which is where I grew up. And it was a it was a very um, it was a conservative local country practice, um, and my dad was very focused on the medical side of, of optics because you know you have to qualify the same way as, almost as you would as a doctor. Um, it takes years and years to qualify. And the work that you do as an, as an optician, the test that you do as an optician, a, a good test, can find so many health benefits and can preempt so many potential illnesses. And that's why it's so important to get a proper eye test. So my dad was, was very much an advocate of that. Um, so what Karen and I were doing at the beginning of, of our foray into optics was almost the antithesis of that. It was the fashion side. It was making people enjoy the physicality of a frame. And instead of wearing something that you would just see through, it was something that, that you could really express your personality through. And that's that stayed with us right the way through. 
Mm. But you say when you were growing up, you didn't fancy the industry and you ended up in sales and marketing. Yeah, I mean, it, it was what I saw and what I grew up in was you you would go into a little room, you would have your eyes tested, people would put little lenses into a trial frame. It just didn't feel very sexy. And I was like, you know, I was 18, 20, and I, I wanted to get out and do something with fashion or music or be a professional footballer. It, it's, a, it's a different atmosphere. I mean, I grew up in, in uh, an ambience with the, with the thought that you only ever had one job. You know, you, you, you qualified, you took a job, and you did that till the end of your career. And then suddenly, you know, as I was like five, ten years into my career, and I would see my friends veering off doing other things, I gradually learned that you could do things another way. Um, but it, the the optical thing was kind of it was kind of like it it was thrust upon us and and it was a beautiful discovery and it was a really enjoyable passion you know we, we weren't doing you know, obviously we were doing something to make a living and pay the rent but there was so much pleasure out of it you know I, I remember the joy that you got out of your first glasses and discovering what we did and talking to people expressing what we were doing and taking it out to a market I you know I remember the very first feature we had in a magazine was uh, written by Peter Brown in Arena, and the name just came back to me, um, in the early 90s. And it was a picture, almost a full page in Arena, of our vintage glasses that we were kind of remaking. And it was such an amazing feeling to be to see something that I'd considered to be so dry and conservative and medical, and then to see it converted into something which was in one of the most fashionable magazines that you could dream of written by a great journalist it was it was it was really gratifying and exciting and i think that's what propelled us and, and thrust us forward it's interesting so i mean what training do you have it sounds very technical to me to make even even fashion uh, frames it sounds a very technical kind of business what training did you have to, to enable you to do it rather than just well my granddad used to do it is not not <laughs> It's not really really what I was expecting. It's not like your average O level, is it? No. Um, Karen is a a trained, qualified designer with a degree in design. Um, She started off in in graphic design, but she, you know, between what I knew about how frames should be balanced and what she knew about design, that was was our starting point, really. Um, And, and, you know, it's Karen's aesthetic that that takes it through. Very good. Okay. Um, I'm intrigued. Well, we see it in fashion, and I wonder if it's the same in your business. The way that that terminology changes, you know. Just I used to buy secondhand clothing when I was, you know, a student and a, a young person after university. Nowadays, I'd be buying pre-loved clothing, you know, not secondhand clothing. So, I mean, what? How do you refer to? The, the, the sector in which you work? I mean, are you, are you in opticals? Are you in opticians? Are you in eyewear? Are you in spectacles? Are you in specs? Are you in glasses? What's, what's, the, what's the going terminology for your, your sector, Jason? Well, I like to say that we design eyewear. Okay. That's the phrase that I would use. I think it varies according to country as well. I think, you know, like in, in the States, they might, talk about, uh, they might talk about spectacles a little bit more. Um, that feels a little bit more conservative to me, and eyewear feels a little bit more upbeat and funky. Okay, eyewear, eyewear it is. So just let, just let's clarify because when I first met you, your your company at the time was uh, Kirk Originals, correct? Yeah. Yes. So Kirk Originals still exists, but that's not your company now. You're now Kirk and Kirk, meaning you and Karen. So just tell us how that came about. 
So, uh, yes, I mean, we have absolutely nothing to do with Kirk Originals now, but they do still exist. So we, we took on some investment in about 2012 um, and then decided to leave the company. We didn't, we didn't share the same vision as the investors. Um, and we decided to move on and set up our own thing. So we sold our interest in, in that company, um, set up Kirk & Kirk, and we launched our first collection, actually came out in 2015, although the, the company started 2013. So 2015, Kirk and Kirk. So when did Kirk Originals appear then? When when did when did you actually get into the business? Ninety two. Really? Wow. Thirty yeah. years. Absolutely, and it, and it's a very strange feeling to to kind of move away from something that you've nurtured uh, and, and developed. But there's an evolution. You know, there's there's when you start off as a as a young entrepreneur doing something that you love, delighted that you can pay your rent. And then as you start to realize that you've got something a little bit more precious than that, then your attitude changes to the way that you run the company and, um, and the way that it can evolve. And I think that we recognized the opportunity towards about 2009, 2010, the opportunity that we hadn't really fulfilled, that we hadn't realized at that point. And that's when we took on, um, took on the investment. But it didn't work out. And, you know, that, that happens. Um, and we learned from it and we, you know, we just decided that we had to take, we decided to take a direction which was loyal to our original dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that was more important to us than the financial aspect of, of running an optical company. So that's, okay. that's how we end up where we are now. Understood. So what does Kirk and Kirk do? What, what you, you're, you're a, what, a designer and producer and wholesaler and retailer of frames is that is that is that correct or you well, tell me yeah, that's an accurate description but i mean it's not obviously it's not just any frames and what we're trying to do is we're trying to change the way that people feel about eyewear you know i want you to feel excited about the frames that you put on not just i've got to put these on so that i can see so that i can read so that i can look at my phone it's something that you put on that reflects your personality and even your mood you know, some, some days, some days I'll wake up and I'll feel like putting on a, a black frame because I feel like, you know, being a little bit subdued. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes I'll put on a black frame. But other days I'll wake up and I'll feel like putting on a bright orange frame because that's the mood that I'm in or that's the environment that I'm going to. And there's a, there's a real art to how you wear the frames and, and, and understanding what they're saying about you. It becomes very natural, very innate. So how do you and Karen split the responsibilities and, um, did you employ anybody else in the, the Kirk and Kirk empire? <laughs> we do. Um, we have, well, we actually have three companies. We have a UK company. Um, Brexit necessitated that we had a European company. And we also have a USA company as well, which looks after America and Canada. Uh, I, across the three companies, we have about 25 staff, actually slightly more now, um, six of whom are in the UK. Uh, Karen's a creative director. She designs all the frames. Uh, I'm the CEO, so um, I, I make, uh, I guess, the strategic decisions for the company. Um, we have a great team of really experienced people. Uh, also involved is Hugh Clark. Hugh Clark is our chairman from the Clark Shoes family. And uh, Hugh's absolutely amazing and a very active and experienced and involved chairman who's great to work with. So we're really lucky, and, and he brings a different discipline and experience to the company. Just when you said I'm the, I'm the CEO, so I make, I thought you were going to say the T. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> I think Karen and, and the rest of the team might have a slightly different view of what I do to to my view. But yeah, okay. all right, okay. So so the the, the centre of your global empire is uh, sunny Brighton. Is that yes? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So you are actually in Brighton, not Hove, actually, as everybody well, in Hove refers. We to. are in Hove, actually. Oh, are you? We are oh, indeed. Okay. I have to get that right, or else I'll, yes. I'll, get, I'll get complaints. So I would, I would urge everybody who's listening to this and to tell their friends as well to go on to go on your rather, rather handsome uh, Kirk and Kirk website. It is extremely, ex- extremely colourful, and they might have to apply sunglasses before before viewing it. But hopefully, Kirk and Kirk sunglasses. But no, it's 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 very, very, very handsomely done. Um, but how many how many style options? Do, do you have at any time tell us a little bit about that because you know people in the fashion business are fam- famous for having too many options and thousands and thousands and thousands of samples have to be made and yeah. so on but, i mean what's what's the kirk what's you know you've been at it for 30 years so you, you know you know what you're doing so what how, how many how many styles do you offer at any one time how many how many size options how many color options in, in any in any one okay. style so the size option is easy because it's always one size. Okay. So you don't, we don't offer different sizes of glasses. Um, today we currently have about, well, about 244 SKUs, precisely 244 SKUs. Okay. Um, we, we constantly have this question from a production perspective, from a design perspective, from a sales perspective, what's the optimum position? And we have two quite unique audiences in that we have opticians that we're selling to on a wholesale basis. And that's kind of like our fashion trade side. Uh, on the other side, we have consumers who buy directly from us, from, from the website and we have to cater for everybody. And I think people look at a collection of eyewear differently. So often the consumer will go straight to a shape that they like. And from that shape, they'll look at the dozen or so colors that we offer it in and choose a couple of colors on the website, we have a virtual try-on tool, which is great fun, and you can move really quickly between between the products. Um, but they'll probably try a frame on and not really be too concerned about which collection of ours it's from. Whereas an optician might come and look at it and go, okay, so Kirk & Kirk have three collections. Um, within the Kaleidoscope collection, there are 10 shapes, 12 colors in each shape. So I want to get myself uh, an offering and merchandise that collection on its own. Or they might want to merchandise one of our other collections. but So we have to present it in different ways. And it, for me, it feels very much like a fashion offering where there's a logic to what you're offering. There's a, there's a, If you look at the way that the frames are merchandised in stores, you see it on our Instagram from time to time or on our Facebook. Um, when you get a wall of brightly colored frames and you might have one frame that you show in three or four colors, the next frame that you show in three or four colors, it's really effective. It's, there's a real impact. Um, and there's a kind of a joyous feeling about it. You know, we, when you've got something that you wear every day and you can actually get joy from that, it's, you know, you know that feeling. And that's when you know you've got the right glasses. So how, how long, uh, I mean, in, in the current selection, I mean, how long have, have any styles been around? I mean, do you, do you keep them for a long time or do you say like two years and that's your lot, mate, and we're moving on? Um, we, we probably ought to, but we don't. So if something is selling well, um, if something is, is, is uh, perennial, then we'll stick with it. You know, it, it's very hard. It's the same in fashion, isn't it? It's very hard to, to drop something when you know it's selling well. And sometimes you do have to make strategic decisions, but actually it's really 
however good you are, it's really hard to design a beautiful frame that fits a lot of people a lot of the time. Um, so when you get it right, it's it's hard to let go of that. So we do have some frames. Um, we don't have any frames that were in the original first collection. We did a collection called Vivarium when we launched in 2015. Um, and it was a slight departure from what we'd do, been doing previously in our old company. Um, and we did that for about three years, and then we dropped the whole collection, even though some of them were fantastic. Mm. But you can't keep everything in production all the time. You can't keep all the stock all the time. So, so it's constantly evolving. We tend to produce one new concept each year. And then during the year, we'll produce perhaps a couple of new colours, a couple of new shapes within one of the collections. Okay. Um, hard, hard to talk about something visual on a podcast, but um, as I said, people have to go and they ought to perhaps be looking at the website while they're listening to this if they've got the the, the, the bandwidth to enable them to do that. But how, how do you sum up the Kirk and Kirk handwriting? You have mentioned one or two things. You know, what, what's, what's, what makes you different from the many, many, many um, eyewear companies that are around? I mean, what materials do you use? Uh, and can you explain in layman's terms, you know, why you do what you do? That's a great question. Um, one of the things that I mentioned that, that inspired us with, with Sydney and Percy Kirk back 100 years ago was their innovation. And Karen and I expressed that innovation through the use of materials. So we're the only people in the world that hand make frames using acrylic. So everybody else, if, you, if you've got a pair of plastic glasses, then they're made of acetate. And we use acrylic. We've developed, it's not like, it's not the acrylic that's your coffee table or your photo frame. It's a special blend of acrylic that we've developed, a special formula. And we use acrylic because it's, the two reasons really, one is it's incredibly light, so very comfortable to wear. So you're wearing the ray frame, which is quite a big and visibly chunky looking frame. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you, you're going to confirm that it weighs virtually nothing when you're wearing it. Yeah, not really where you're yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're really, really comfortable. And if, and also, especially if you've got a strong prescription, you've got to counterbalance that with the frame, then having that, that light frame is really, really helpful. So the weight of using acrylic is really important. And also the colors, because we make all our own colors. So we're not dictated to by the large fabric houses, effectively, the large plastic houses that, that, dominate everything else so we can make these incredibly exciting colors like violet like tiger like corn that you don't find anywhere else and that's a real opportunity to express yourself and and it's great when you go into a, an optical store we only sell in independent stores you won't find us in chains but you go into a beautiful optical store and you see a range of eyewear in colors and shapes you've never seen before and it's pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to try on something that is, you know, just something new to you. That's the opportunity to do it. And when you do it, you, there's just a sense that when you, when you, um, this is where we need a visual. This is where the podcast makes it difficult, but you stand up a little bit taller when you've got that right frame on. It just feels like you, it just feels comfortable. And, and I guess that's the reason why we do it. You know, to, to see the joy that people get, you know, I, you know, I meet people that have had the same old boring tortoiseshell pair of frames for like 30 years. And you go, go on, just try on a blue one. Just have a look at it. And they put it on and they're like, wow, I, I would never in a million years have tried that on. And I hear that so many times. And they put it on and they just feel liberated or empowered. And, and it's, 
it's those things that make this job because it is a job but they make this profession this career absolutely fantastic well you're preaching to the converted here as you know Jason, but you're, you're absolutely you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and um yeah people have already you know the haven't had this this current pair the, the violet rays from you for very long but every time i wear them somebody remarks on them um yeah they're, they're, they're very they're very good they very make me feel good look good and of course they do the job so help me see Now it's time to hear a bit more about our partners, Klarna. Klarna lets customers pay up to 30 days later or in free installments at thousands of online stores such as ASOS, River Island, Michael Kors, Made.com and many more. Find out more at Klarna.com. So listen, you said you uh, you hand make them. I presume you're not personally hand making them while you're making making the no, tea. Where, no. where, where's the production from? Where for this? And where do you get so where we, do you get the acrylic from? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's fascinating. So we make our acrylic in Italy in one factory, hmm. and then it's shipped to France, and the frames hmm. are produced in one factory from start to finish. So yeah. that's really important. We, and, and because of Brexit, we opened up a warehouse in France, and logistics is done from there. Everything's distributed out of there as well. French production is, in my opinion, the best in the world, mm-hmm. and that's why that's why we work there. And we looked at other places, but um, you get certain areas. Just you know, like like you can get beautiful suits in Portugal, where glasses come from from France. Um, so yeah, so so that's that's been very interesting for us. And, and we actually we lived in France as well for ten years, which was kind of part of that process of knowing everything that was going on and, and knowing the optical areas as well. Um, but when you get when you get kind of brand name glasses, they tend to be made in the Far East. Mm-hmm. Tend to be, well, they'll be made from acetate if they're plastic. And one of the difficulties is that you don't necessarily you're kind of disguising the quality of the frame behind the name because mm-hmm. it's not. You know, I'm not going to mention any names, but it's not those people making that frame. It's a factory with a branded product that could be could be any product at all and that's yeah. really and it it makes it harder for the consumer because there are there are a handful not that many more of great eyewear designers out there and they specifically design frames that's what they do they don't make clothing and then sell their, their name for something else they make frames but the problem is as a consumer how do you find these people how do you know um, who's a genuine eyewear designer and, and who's going to produce something of style and quality that, that's going to do the right job. And people are often drawn towards names that they're familiar with, household names, fashion names. And it's, it's, well, it's, it's duplicitous. You know, it's not, it's not the quality that you think you're paying for. It's in fact, it's, yeah. it's usually the opposite. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is a difficult question and I'm sure your next question is going to be, how do you go and find a good frame? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't going to be. We'll come to that. We'll come to that in a minute. We'll come to that in a minute. I mean, I I know how to because I just I just phone you up, but that's fine. But no, the um, no, I do I do agree because you know I do I do look at um, particularly in some of our big high street opticians. I'll go in and have a look, and uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but you look at some names and think, 
my God, the clothes are crap. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the frame. So why would anybody want to buy a frame with this stuck on the side? And um, yeah, the other, actually, I should mention it. One of the things that I've always admired about your frames is there's no, there's no branding on them. Yeah, and that's a very important part of what we do. And in fact, when you go to our website, when you go to kirkandkirk.com, the first thing you'll see is just frames, no labels. And that's in our bio on our, on our Instagram. It's really, really important because we're not about a label. You know, the quality and the aesthetic stand on their own. They should do. Uh, yeah. And that's what it's all about. Tell me, um, what are your key price price levels? Because all this, you know, attention to detail, you know, unique acrylics, unique design, handmade, it doesn't come cheap. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not super expensive. You spend between about 350 and 400 pounds, depending on the product. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you can spend a lot more and you can spend a lot less. And then, of course, you have to buy the lenses as well which is in separate thing of course um, which just to, just to be clear for everybody listening to the podcast you don't do that you're just producing the frames and then they they go elsewhere and they can get their get their lens from wherever they like but you you well to me you've recommended me always to go to a uh, an independent um optician to do it rather than one of the high street people who you know yeah they buy, buy two get one free and sort of thing. yeah it's, it, i mean it's all about quality and there's no point in getting a, a, a beautiful quality frame and then getting a, a cheap lens that looks rubbish or doesn't last or the the coatings yeah. come off yeah okay as you're asking the questions jason how do you how do you find a good a good frame <laughs> then if you if if, that, if that's your challenge for the day i need some new, new okay. specs. <laughs> um well, I would say that the best way to do it is to go to an independent optician. I mean, clearly there's so much information available to us, accessible now, um, online. And you can find the, the key words to look for are independent opticians. So um, certainly in the UK, uh, there are opticians up and down the country now. If you'd have asked me five years ago, it would have been a lot harder to find good independent stores. Um, but you... You know, wherever you are, most places there is someone independent and you can tell what kind of story. Because that's the other thing as well as a consumer. How do you know if this is a good independent or a bad independent? In fact, how do you know if it if it's even independent? I mean, that's another thing as well. But um, the chains, the big names are the ones that, that we all know and they do a lot of really good marketing and we know their names. But uh, small independent stores, they will have brands like Kirk & Kirk. They'll have brands like Teo. Brands like Annie Valentin, Kubaram, um, Jacques Marimage, those are the kind of things to look out for and, and very happy to mention other people's names because they make great glasses. And, and if ultimately your decision is that you want to buy something independent, I don't really mind what it is. It's like as long as you're supporting this industry that is making genuine quality eyewear. What's your split between in, in your own um, distribution? And I'm thinking here. Let's just talk about through through the optical trade. What's the split between UK and and the world? You've said you've got a, a company in Europe. You've got a company in the US. What's roughly for every hundred frames you sell? How many are being sold in the UK? How many are being sold elsewhere? So about half of our business is USA and Canada. I would say about thirteen percent of our business now is the UK which has grown dramatically uh, in the last couple of years. Is that 1-3 or 3-0? Oh, sorry. 1-3, 13. 1-3, yeah, 13, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then markets like France, uh, Australia is a great market. And then we have little anomalies. So we, we've got some places where you have like one or two fantastic stores that really, really get behind our product. 
So we have a great market in Puerto Rico, for example, uh, which is kind of unexpected. I was in, uh, I just did a trade show in New York, which was right at the end of, of March. And from there, I went and did what we call a trunk show in Jamaica. So a trunk show is where you go and take a suitcase full of all your samples and your whole collection, and you work directly in a shop, but with consumers. And we did three days in Jamaica, in Kingston, and it was it was phenomenal. It was amazing. And they sold a lot of glasses in that period. Um, and so sometimes it's, it's markets that you wouldn't expect, but it, it's about it's about people being um, open to trying new things. Mm. You found yourself some good looking models in um, in Jamaica. On your <laughs> yeah, some good looking people in Jamaica. I, I was working on it. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, you were work, you were working on it. I was. It was very good. So, listen, um, rather basic question: Do you regard yourself as being part of the fashion industry? Yes. Simple answer. Yeah. Yesterday, um, I think it, it is. I always find it ridiculous we both know people who care so much about fashion and dress in such a considered way up to their chin and then stop uh and and i find it really frustrating and i think that um a product there are two aspects to the glasses there's the, the lenses which allow you to see well or see better and there's the frame which house the lenses but also reflect something about you and why on earth wouldn't you make that a fashion decision when you when you you know you you put them on you think of all the zoom calls that we do i can't i right right now i can't even tell if you're wearing trousers let alone what trousers you're wearing but i can see what glasses you're wearing um and that is the item of clothing that you've got that expresses the most about you in in this interaction um but even so like when you even when you meet people face to face you might sit down at a table you might be in a meeting you're talking to somebody's eyes, you've got to dress those eyes more than you've got to dress your feet, you know? It's like, or, or at least equally. Um, so I think it's a it's a really important part of fashion. Um, I I surprised myself recently. I was talking to people about this. I got asked that very question recently. And I said, well, when I get up in the morning, I put my glasses on. I decide which glasses I feel like wearing. And then based on that decision, I decide what clothes I'm going to wear. And they were like, what? That's what we do completely the opposite. But that for me, that's what it is. And and it's um I think it should be your probably your number one fashion choice. Yeah. I'm guessing you've probably got more specs than most of us to choose from, but uh Yeah. I have. I uh, it's easier, but how, how then, many? How many? At the moment I'm running about eight or nine. Okay. That's which is which is fairly modest for me. I, I confess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, but that's, at the same time, at, at one, the same... one a day and a spare or a spare or two, Jason. That's totally acceptable. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, but but also, you know, like people people should have two or three pairs of glasses for exactly that reason. You know, you look you look fantastic in those violet frames, but you look equally fantastic in a pair of black frames. And there are yeah. going to be days when you feel like wearing the black, and days when you feel like wearing the violet. Yeah, no, no, totally. I, I have to say, I love, I love the violet, but they don't go with everything. So I've yeah. got to sort of say no, and so we'll swap them over. And also, uh, rather like shoes, my view is you should not wear the same pair of specs day in day out. You should give them a rest. So um, let, yes. let them, let them, let them rest. Let your nose have a different thing sitting on it. Okay. Um, so you're, um, you've got plans, I believe. 
to um, enter or re-enter or re-embrace the, the, the fashion sector with some of your frames. Is, is that right? Are you, are you, are you planning yes. in, on, on the horizon? Well, we, have a, um, we currently have a sunglass collection uh, at the moment, which is, which is great. But we've got a new collection coming out, which is um, very on brand and uh, different to anything else that's out there. So it's an interesting balance, the way that you approach. People have a different approach to sunglasses to the, to the way that they approach optical. But we want, we're bringing out a sunglass collection, and we're going to offer it to independent fashion stores. Um, we've got some great conversations going on at the moment with some really um, exciting, top-notch independent retailers that actually, you know, the way that we're, we're doing this is we're, we're sifting through the ones that care. It sounds really, I, I, I don't know what that sounds like, but actually my goal in this is to elevate eyewear, sunglasses specifically in this instance, to elevate sunglasses to a position of equality with other fashion items. I want people to consider it just as much and give it as much attention. Um, and historically, that hasn't been the case. And you can see, I mean, just, you know, we're talking about fashion, we're talking about the way that, that fashion people buy. You know, to, to insist, for example, that sunglasses should be on a sale or return basis. Why? Why would that be the case? It's like, if you like this product and you believe you're going to sell it, buy it. And if you don't believe it, don't buy it. And that's absolutely fine. But these are the kind of... Um, conundrums that, that eyewear comes up against where other products don't necessarily come up against that same thing so we're working with some some really uh forward-thinking partners who want to in some instances simply stock what we're doing in other instances um collaborate on limited edition products um specific products for them so yeah it's a really exciting time really looking forward to it and when might that be actually at retail um autumn Oh, okay. Okay. And will it be some some of your uh, retail partners be in the UK or is this more of an international initiative? Some of them will be in the UK, yeah. Um, It's not something that we don't want it to be a mass product. We're going to take the same selective process um, that I just hinted at through through, um, the commitment of people. But um, it's also, it's it's about the right environment and there are a limited number of people in the UK um, that can do that, but there are there are people all over the world. So, yeah. Okay. So, just to be clear, on the sunglasses that you've got at the moment, and on the sunglasses we're just now talking about, they will have the the tinted lenses in as part of the frames. Yes, they'll be, be non prescription tinted lenses. Yeah. Non prescription tinted lenses, and also just to be clear for for your listeners, um, you can put a prescription lens into any of those sunglasses. Of course, you yeah. could You could put a clear prescription lens or a tinted prescription lens by going to an independent yep. optician. Okay. Well, very, very good indeed. So how long has this been bubbling under then, um, Jason? Well, it, it was a little bit hampered by COVID. And you know, when, when, when we saw all the, the great fashion department stores, um, particularly in America, having to close, um, it makes you think twice about, about launching new products. So, so we've kind of held back on that, and the, and the product's been adapted uh, um, uh, and evolved during that period a little bit. So, yeah, so it's, it's been in the pipeline for about two years. Yeah, do you do any personalization or bespoke with Kirk and Kirk, or is, it, is that something you you would like to do, or is it not practical? Um, 
it's it is impractical it is difficult because we produce in small numbers but they're not single numbers mm-hmm. it can be done and so what often happens is if we're doing something specifically for um it might be for a particular person it might be for a celebrity or something we might make a unique color for somebody within a shape that we already do okay nice. so um as an example uh robert danny jr bought a whole range of our glasses last year when he was promoting Doolittle and he wore all different glasses and everything and, and they were all different colors for different presentations different environments and he used that whole thing really really well so so we could for example produce your frame in a color that we don't already produce but it'd be specific for you really nice in going back to the sort of the trade you just you just mentioned the dread, dreaded covid um if one can remember as long far back as we didn't have COVID to worry about, how how buoyant or otherwise was the eyewear business, and and how is it bouncing back if it's bouncing back post COVID? So, optics has has been really uh, the the effect on optics has been very interesting and very unexpected. So, we I mean we're not typical we're designers, but but opticians were petrified at the beginning, just like anybody who ran a business. We closed our business more or less for about two months. Nothing happened. A lot of people did. But opticians were allowed to stay open, retail opticians allowed to stay open as essential healthcare. And that was pretty much all over the world. So they weren't sure how that was going to happen because they had to have stringent cleaning policies. Um, And they started to do things like you could only come in the shop on an appointment basis. And it was hour by hour. And they were really nervous. The people we were talking to were really nervous that how are we going to make enough money to keep the doors open if we can only see one person an hour? The reality is that the shopping basket increased dramatically. So people were getting more attention, more care, um, more advice and guidance in, in the frames and lenses they were choosing and happy to spend more money. So actually during this two years, uh, I would say the independent sector of the industry has has blossomed. During the first year of lockdown, we grew by 42%. And the second year was a similar number as well. And the reason for that is because, you know, you mentioned it. I was, as a consumer, I was sitting at home on my sofa, not wanting to go out, not wanting to go to shops or see humans. But if there was a product that I saw online that attracted me and I needed to go into a store to understand what it was, to touch it, to feel it, I couldn't buy it without doing that, then that really worked. So a lot of opticians, a lot of independent stores, would want to carry Kirk and Kirk for exactly that reason. So they'd have something that was different to their competitors and would drive people into the store. So that really helped us. How long have you had that fantastic um, uh, digital try-on um, program? On so there, we've, we've, we've only had that for a couple of months. Um, Seriously, that, that new? Wow. Yeah, okay. it's, it's brand new. And it's a new technology because virtual try-ons have existed and they've been kind of clunky. I mean, we resisted it for a long time because – if you go to some of the, the better known ones, they're just, they're really clunky and you can't move around between products. And when you turn your head, the glasses come off your face really quickly and it just doesn't give you a realistic view. You know, I, I was buying online. I think if you buy any product and it's different to what you've seen online, whether it's better or worse, it actually, I mean, it scares me that it's different. I want to pay for exactly what I've seen and receive exactly what I've seen. So, there were two elements to this. One is the fact that the that the actual reproduction of the image is great. And secondly, it's the fact that you can just move around between products seamlessly. 
and really enjoy that experience. So, uh, listen, a couple of other factual things because we're, we're going to be wrapping up shortly. Um, I forgot to ask, what's the split between men's and women's styles or, or, or do you not regard them as men's and women's styles in Kirk and Kirk land? So be- between men's and women's styles, um, when you've got cat's eyes, they tend to be very feminine and there are very few blokes who wear them, although some do. Um, when you've got men's styles, they tend to be unisex. So there's no, there's very little differentiation there. We tend to see when we when we look at the numbers who are visiting our social media channels, it tends to be 52, 53 women. It's actually closer than you might imagine, and I think it's moved. I mean, it used to be a couple of years ago, it was 60, 40 in favour of women, but I think guys now are understanding that it, it's it, it doesn't look uh, in any way surprising or different if you get the colour right. Doesn't really matter what the colour is; it's, it's it's right for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll totally go with that. And just coming back to the sunglasses, what's going to be the retail price in the UK of your of your uh, let's call them fashion sunglasses? Just under three hundred pounds. Okay, yeah, so not uh, not outrageous compared with stuff that's out there at the moment. No, not at all. Okay, okay, grand. Uh, right, so this is your chance to get on your soapbox just before we get to. <laughs> <laughs> You have mentioned it, but just to, just let's let's put it down for the podcast record. In the in the view of Jason Kirk, how many pairs of spectacles auto uh, spectacle wearer to have on kind of rotation? What would be you know re- realistic? What would you suggest? I'm going to say three. Okay, very good. Well, I've got five at the moment. As, as good work. <laughs> yeah, three's good. Three, three's good. I mean, I recognize I recognize that it's suspend. And I recognise that not everybody has the budget to do that, and not everybody has the budget to buy an independent brand and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I'm I'm not snobby about it at all. But I think if you are in a position where you have a choice, then then you should give eyewear as much attention as you give the rest of your wardrobe. Yeah, well, when you see the size of you know, I'm I'm always astonished how many shoes people have because I'm I'm not that into shoes. I've got lots of shoes, but. Lots of people have lots more, and then you know I've got 125 ties, which people might think bonkers. So that will be, you know, that's uh, a different. I'm, I'm, the podcast people can't see, but I am wearing a tie today, even though I'm sitting at home in my in my study, just because I've got 125 ties and I'm going to wear them. So I keep putting a different one on every day. Uh, but yeah, so I wear. I I I, I totally agree, and I think you think you know inexpensive. I know this is not your market, Jason, but you know inexpensive sunglasses i think that's the sort of thing people get get a lot of you know they go on holiday yeah. they buy something at airports i mean those are not that's not your not your area and they don't have to get the prescription lenses but i do see that's uh that you know i do think people ought to take i do 100 percent agree they ought to take a bit more time a bit more consideration thinking of um going for more interesting eyewear and more more interesting eyewear and then you know Kirk and Kirk would be a very good place to 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 start. I have to say. Um, now you mentioned so this just just to wrap up. Who who would be who is your uh, kind of dream Kirk and Kirk wearer? Either they are wearing already, or you would say I would love to see him or her wearing Kirk and Kirk. Well. Um, who do you think? Wear, who, I'm guessing. I'm asking. Who do you think wears 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 eyewear well? Who are who are the who are the people you look to, and whether they're clients of yours or not? Yeah, uh, I mean Samuel L. Jackson is absolutely great. He he, you know, he wears lots of different eyewear uh, all the time, and then and then you can look at 
you look at bands, I mean, um, like Sky from Morchiba wears, wears brilliant glasses all the time. Um, it's, it's the way that people wear them. It's the confidence and the, the, the natural aspect of wearing a pair of glasses. It doesn't matter whether they're ours. It doesn't matter whether they're bright colors or whether they're black and tortoiseshell. It's, it's, the, um, it's wearing them with ease that I think is really, really important. Um, I, would, I would love to have had the opportunity to dress David Bowie's eyes. Um, I, I love the way that uh, he was able to kind of to change his persona, to change his image, to and 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 everything that he did stood for you know like a different type of personality, a different type of image, all the time, constantly evolving. And the challenge of doing that with eyewear, I think, is is really interesting as well. But unfortunately, we're too late for that. Okay. So this last question: You have some great names for your for your frames. They're all yeah. named after they're all named after a person, aren't they? Yes, is that correct. Yeah. yeah. So they all they've all got what we could call a Christian a Christian name. So you know they're not named sort of Asia or Scunthorpe or Cadillac. They're all actually named after a person. So yes. how how do they how do they come about? Well, usually they're named. So for example, the Centena collection, which is which is one of our collections. Um, was designed to celebrate 100 years of the Kirk family in optics. And each of the Centena frames are named after a Kirk optical person. So, you know, we've, you've got Sydney, you've got Percy, you've got Cecil, who's my uncle, um, you've got Neville, my dad, you've got an Esme, my mum. Uh, it's, it's great. There's a Miriam in there, like Sydney's wife, my grandma. So they're all named after after real people who were in some way involved in in optics. And in fact, like there's, you know, I mentioned at the beginning that, that my dad was an optician, but all his cousins and brothers, like Dennis was a brother, and he's one of the frames. Bert was a brother. They're all opticians um, all around North London. So yeah, it's it's um it's nice to associate those frames and shapes with real people. It's kind of a reflection of of the approach that we take, the kind of integrity of the product, like 360, it's not just, you know, they're, 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 you see so many products are, that are either a great product or great marketing, or it, it, it's rare that you actually get something where people take care of the whole 360, and we really try to, um, and, we're, and we're happy to get feedback where we can improve as well. And you don't have any copyright problems when it's just, you're going to call it Sydney or Neville or something, that's very good. <laughs> no, totally. Right, Jason, it's been a pleasure to, A, well, see you, as, as I can, as we're talking, even though the podcast uh, listeners won't be able to do that. And uh, it's been great to uh, yeah, hear a little bit more about your fantastic company. And, um, yeah, long, long may you continue. And I will keep, keep you updated next time I need another, another pair to add to, my, uh, add to my collection. Please but, do. listen, thank you, thank you very much. And I uh, look forward to uh, a lot of the podcast listeners going onto your uh, website, see what a fantastic work you did. Thank you, Eric. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Industry.Fashion's In Conversation podcast. If you ever want to be there in person, visit our website at theindustry.fashion and sign up for our newsletter to be the first to hear about future events. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to our partners, Klarna, and keep an eye out for our next episode.